welcome to part one of our two-part interview with Daniel Henderson. Currently, Daniel is the Senior Director, Product Development, Meal Solutions at Loblaw Companies Limited. In part one of the interview, we talk with Daniel about the last two plus decades of his career from his start in the industry as a dishwasher, his time spent out west learning the art of sushi, to his move back to Ontario and working as a corporate chef for the Bento Sushi brand. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of the Industry Podcast. My name is Kip Saunders. I'm your host. The producer of the show is Dan Soretta. How are you doing, Dan? I'm doing all, uh, doing well, thanks, man. Yourself? <laughs> it sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's off to a great start. Yeah, yeah one drink got I'm finished. Three yeah. quarters of that bottle of wine you finished, but <laughs> <laughs> these episodes. Oh, um, yes. Yeah, uh, this is, we're recording on December, what's the date today? Uh, the uh, 21st of December. Oh yeah, you can sort of, I can read the computer. Yes, um, and how's things going with you? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's all right. They've, December 21st, we're going into a lockdown on Boxing Day all over Ontario, which is, believe it or not, actually better for my situation because then they are forced to give me the proper rent relief mm-hmm. as opposed to the red zone, which I just call the slow bleed. <laughs> so it's better for that and... Uh, Gives me a little time off to, you know, catch up on uh, doing fuck all. Nice. Congratulations. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, trapped in, uh, in the house all day. Yeah. But hopefully we get through this one quickly and, and the vaccines show up and we're all out on the other side of it. Yes. Uh, we have a great guest for you that we're going to be bringing shortly. Daniel Henderson will be joining us. Um, a little housekeeping to get out of the way. If you like the show, uh, and I'm sure you do, to subscribe, rate, review. That's the best way to help us out. Um, Giving a shout out as always to at Zach Hanna Design for the great artwork he does for mm-hmm. the podcast. And um, if you'd like to be on the show, then just uh, DM us at the Industry Podcast, and uh, we'll uh, link you up. I think we're booked until the end of March right now, but uh, slots will soon become available. That is correct. Yeah. Okay, so let's get right to the show today. We have with us Daniel Henderson. Uh, you're coming to us from Waterloo. Cambridge, my friends. Cambridge, sorry. My bad. <laughs> uh, and, uh, well, I mean, I could ask you what the situation in Cambridge is, but I know we're all in lockdown coming shortly. So usually that's how we start the show, is like t- finding out how everyone's getting fucked in the ass by COVID. So uh, we can just skip that part of the show and jump right into your career. <laughs> yeah, we, we can skip the whole last year if you want. That, that, would, yeah. <laughs> that would be great. Get everybody in a good mood. That would be great. Uh, so... Daniel, you've you've pretty much worked in the hospitality industry for most of your adult life, I'm guessing, based on flipping through your bio here. Um, And you started as a, like, what was your first cooking job? Yeah, interestingly enough, um, I'd say my 10 years now, like close to 22, 25 years in the industry. I'm not too sure. I don't keep track, uh, as most of us don't, but... um, you know, I think my first job in the industry, actually dishwashing at Waterloo Inn, oh, okay. uh, North, North Waterloo, uh, back when it was actually a hotel. And um, I took that job in high school. Uh, I said, hey, I need some cash, you know, pay for extracurricular activities that yeah. I was, my friends and I were getting into, if, if you know what I mean. And uh, mm-hmm. I needed uh, some street cash. So, uh, you know, what better to do than, you know, take a bus from KCI all the way up King Street to uh waterloo in to, to wash dishes uh for eight hours and that, that's oh, yeah. what i did after school that was my first uh first gig and then uh over time they said hey 
this guy washes dishes pretty good. Let's see if he can chop an onion, you know? Um, and, uh, that, that kind of like, that's how it started, you know, um, had no idea in high school I was going to be a a chef or even remotely interested in food. Um, and, uh, you know, a couple ships, uh, prepping food for the Waterloo Inn guys. And, uh, it's like, Hey, this is actually quite fun. And, uh, I guess made a career of it, to be honest, like, that's it. And like, how far um, along before you realized that it was going to be more than just a job? Like, obviously, probably not when you're still doing the prep work, or did you know even back then? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I think I was working as a prep cook at Waterloo Inn for maybe a total of like three months, right? In my last year of high school. My last year of high school, just for context, was the same year that they said we're going to stop OAC and no more grade 13. Okay. Uh, if that date if that dates me or ages me, whatever. <laughs> but, uh, at the, at that point, um, you know, I sort of said, okay, well, what's OAC going to be for me? Uh, I hadn't gone into that year of high school yet. And I said, look, um, I'm actually going to drop this thing and actually go uh, to college for chef training. Uh, and I remember telling my parents and they like, they just lost it. They're like, what are you doing? You're destroying your life, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I said, no, that's what I want to do. Um, uh, you so know, you maybe knew, they're right. I don't know. Like, like, oh, like, but you knew fairly early then. Like, so that's just even a couple of prep shifts at the Waterloo Inn, and already you're thinking about, well, fuck it, let's go to chef school. Yeah, you know why? It's it's it was fun, right? I had a blast. Mm. I went into work. People are laughing. You know, everyone's having a good time. It's hard work. You're slugging away. You're sweating, but at least at the end of the shift, you're like, hey, let's go get a beer and hang out. You know, you're like actually you know with your buddies right all day mm-hmm. yeah. um and so at the time that was my first job my first exposure to like real work um and i actually really fell in love with it i said this is like this is awesome um uh, and the more i loved it the more i worked hard and i think it just became this moment of like i'm gonna be here you know for a while in my in my life um and so chef training was an easy transition because it was just let's go see what you can do with the skill um and it doesn't take much to, you know, sign up for a course, but, um, you fell in love with food really quickly after that, um, and became just obsessed. Right. So every single day it would be, you know, trying to understand how to be better, faster, uh, what more knowledge could I, could I bring to the table? Um, how could I soak up, you know, more of this sort of like, you know, drug that I was on, which was just cooking and, and love of food. Um, and that's, that was it. That was my transition. I was like, I dropped out of high school and straight into, straight into cooking, man. It was, it was a no brainer for me at the time. And so when you're going to school, uh, where, where were you working at the same time? And if so, where was that still to Waterloo Inn? Or are you working somewhere else at that time? Yeah. Funny enough. Right. Like I took, um, I took that job at Waterloo Inn and then I dropped out of high school. My parents at the same time, they left town, they're out. And, um, so I had to find an apartment, I found an apartment like right around the corner. Right. So it was like a two minute walk from the college. Uh, or sorry, from, from Waterloo Inn, skipping my chronology here. Yeah. But um, <laughs> um, I basically took a took a apartment that was like a two minute walk from work, and then um, yeah, I said okay, look, I'm going to go to college uh, at, at Conestoga, which was basically um, you know in the same neighborhood, right? It was right up there on North King Street. So within like a two minute walk, I was going to college, and I was going to work, and I was right. going back home. Um, so super unique in that, that, you know, it was just, everything was super close by allowed me during college to be able to take like full, full-time work at the, at the hotel. Um, so my apprenticeship actually got escalated because at the end of the day, 
um, I was in college and I was like, okay, I'm going to do my red seal, my, you know, my, my COQ. Um, and, uh, I need that 6,000 hours, but, you know, working full time at this, uh, at this hotel right after college, um, every day gave me those hours like super quick. Um, so it wasn't long after I like, I left Conestoga that, you know, I, I finished my chef's training and it was, you know, basically done school and so okay got to work another year and then i'm going to write my red seal mm-hmm. um the challenge was at the time Conestoga college culinary wasn't you know recognized at the ministry of training as a accredited college for culinary um so i actually went into the ministry i said look i'm here to write my my uh, red seal right my c of q and they basically turned around and said well guy you know hey you got to go to accredited school like off you go uh and they actually told me to go to you know um you know, George Brown or Humber, they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, take a course over there, go to Toronto. Wow. Um, and I, I basically, I was like, oh man, this is like, what have I done for the last like three years of my life? You know? Yeah. Like, uh, and how was, was that just not made aware to you or you just didn't know that that was, that it wasn't a credit or that's how it worked or like, how did that, how did that happen? Yeah. I mean, I guess not the best sign up flow. I kind of still at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so yeah, no, it wasn't, um, it wasn't, you know, widely known that at the end of your, you know, schooling, uh, Conestoga, you would at that time not be able to go write your red seal. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was, it was a real you know, sort of kick in the pants, right. I had to figure that out quick. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, um, I actually rallied pretty hard. I got a lot of, a lot of, uh, signatures from the, from the Dean, the president of the school, um, I got a lot of people behind me, obviously they're like, you know, cheerleading to get me through so that, you know, if I wrote the CFQ, the other, you know, graduates could come and easily do the same. Um, and it was also in their best interest to have, you know, this graduate from Costco come through and be a, you know, advocate for school at the ministry level. So, uh, it took me about eight months, but I got, I think a total, um, something around, you know, 150 signatures, um, staff, you know, deans, president, whoever at the college, uh, and was finally allowed to write the CFQ without having to go and do any extra schooling at, at another college, which was, um, which is pretty awesome. So, you know, at oh. the end of the day, uh, I'm not sure I was the first, but I was like one of the first to get through the culinary school there and, and get through and, and write. Um, and, uh, felt pretty good about that because I'd spent a lot of time at the college and met a lot of really good people, both in school class, but also the faculty were just extremely supportive. Um, I look back on my time at Conestoga with like open arms. Those guys are incredible and they still are like, they still call me. I still talk to them. Um, you know, a lot of professors and and folks, uh, in the administration office are just super supportive of the moves I've made in my career. And at the time we're like, you know, I, I didn't think about it, but you know, they were actually the founding, you know, sort of principal kind of pillars in my life at the time of like, making sure I had a good education as, as I walked out of the building. Right. And I think anyone in the industry would agree that, or in the kitchen anyways, that, you know, coming out of uh, any type of training or education whatsoever in, in, in culinary, it's always important to have that base foundation and then you can run from there. Right. There's no stopping you. Right. But mm-hmm. um, those guys were, were, were pinnacle. So I was super happy they supported me and we got through the, the pain of, of writing the red seal together, I would say. Yeah, that's a crazy story. I mean, there can't be too many people who have like gone about it that way, where you literally got people to essentially vouch for you to and, and have and have the Red Seal program actually change their mind about it. That's that's great. 
Um, so at that point, now you're done, you got your Red Seal. At some point, you make the decision to move out west, and um, you start working a lot with sushi, if, I'm, if I've got the story right. Yeah, no, you're absolutely correct. And I'll be honest, right? Well, so I really do after... my research, Daniel. I really do my research. <laughs> <laughs> you dug deep, man. You yeah, deep. I did. Uh, no, it's it's true. Um, I was actually done school working at Waterloo Inn. And I, uh, I got through about another year of, you know, sort of working, hitting the pubs, um, staying out late every night I could. Um, until I realized like, that unfortunately KW was just, there was only so much that KW was going to provide me from a, a growth perspective. Um, and I was in love with Asian food at the time. Um, I think I, I look back and I think, you know, I think there's only like one or two sushi restaurants in, in the entire city. Right. Um, uh, there's more now for sure, uh, but definitely back then it's like one, one, maybe two. Yeah. Yeah, it was Sakura Island on King yeah. Street. I remember that. That yeah. was the one. Um, and then there was another one out in, uh, like, Bleams Road or something. Yeah, which, yeah I you remember know. that place was spectacular. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Like, I retired a couple of years ago. But at the time, like, Bleams Road, like, good luck, right? I'm on a bus everywhere I go at that yeah, time. Right. So I was like, okay, you know, like, never yeah. going to get out there. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but so I said, look, I'm going to go out west on a wing and a prayer. And at the time, um, you know, my partner and my girlfriend at the time was like, okay, let's go out, right? Uh, and we sort of won it, went out, um, didn't really have a place to live. I remember, you know, picking up a paper on, on the ferry ride from, uh, you know, the mainland to the Vancouver Island, which is where we ended up and calling this like, you know, random guy, um, on the ferry and saying, you know, do you have a spot for me to live in Nanaimo? Like, I don't have anywhere to live. Right. So, um, and this guy rented me his apartment, uh, in a complex, um, super last minute we got there and then i realized i'm like okay great we got a place to live but like fuck i don't have any you know i don't know a job right <laughs> so uh went went to london drugs which was like the shopper's drug mart out there and uh printed off a bunch of resumes and started running around town being like okay who in nanaimo is going to hire this guy right um and uh landed a job actually at this this restaurant called acme you know acme food co um, super sounds random place. To... Sounds like somewhere Wile E. Coyote. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely was, 100%. <laughs> there was a ton of Wile E. Coyotes there. Uh, but it was the hottest spot in town at the time, Nanaimo. Um, and this guy, Peter, it's a super, super awesome guy. If he's listening, love love him, love Peter. Um, and he owned the restaurant and, and loved to have a good time and, and loved to you know facilitate a good time. So his restaurant exuded that good time, always. Um, so I was like, you know, a, you know, a guy that worked in the kitchen and, and, uh, you know, loved to have a good time myself. It just became a natural fit. Uh, and I worked with Peter and his group for about a year and a half. Uh, but the interesting part about his restaurant was there's a sushi bar up front. Um, so I got hired in the back of house. I was this guy like line cook basically. Right. And, uh, the whole time I'm like Googling the sushi bar, like, Oh man, I really want to go out there and like work out there. You know, they're like mm-hmm. air conditioning, you know, they're getting tips, you know, yeah, yeah. People, are buying, people are buying them booze, you know, it's like, um, so it's I, almost I just like, this- sorry to interrupt you for just a second, but like, it's almost like those sushi chefs. And when you're doing that, it's almost like being more like front of house staff, right? Like you're, you're face forward to the guests, you are getting tips, you're conversing with them. It's way different than the, than the sort of job you have as a line cook in the back. 
hundred percent. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a night and day role. Uh, you're clean. First of all, (laughs) 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 your chef code is clean. Um, you know, you're presentable, uh, but you have some fun, man. You're out there, you're chatting with the, the guest, you know, you're feeding them, uh, and immediately you can see if they enjoy the food, they hate the food. Um, you know, they're just having a good time, right? You're just telling jokes, cracking it, cracking it up. So, it was my like mission in life to get out there and, and, and work in that, in that role. Um, and they finally moved me out there after about four months. Um, and, and the rest is kind of history over there. Um, made rice in the back for, you know, probably a good, I would say two or three months cutting cucumbers and just cooking rice. Um, still probably not the best sushi rice cook out there, but whatever, that was, that was my training. Um, and then, you know, got into the front of, uh, the sushi bar and, um, it was a steep learning curve. I'm not gonna lie. Um, going from, you know, French Mediterranean cuisine training to, you know, strict Japanese, you know, methodology and, you know, how to, you know, cut, cut sushi or cut sashimi and roll sushi. Like it was a, it was a very, I, I, I like, I remember vividly, I was like going home every night, my first couple months. I was like, telling my girlfriend at the time, like, this is, I'm like in a world of hurt. Like, I don't know where I'm, well, what I'm doing. Right. Is there, um, um, so when you're going to, uh, just to backtrack a little bit, cause that you brought it up and I'm just interested me. I never really knew the answer. When you're going to chef school are like 95% or more or less than of them teaching you like French Mediterranean cuisine. Is that basically the basis of most chef schools? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's primarily like, I don't know now cause I've been out of it for so long, but it's when I was there, it was like all French, nothing all but French. French. Right. And, 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 and most of the schools, if not all of them, that's what they're teaching. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. And, and, and so for me, like I come out of there with like a, a pretty okay, like, you know, knowledge base of like French cuisine, but I mean, you're never going to be perfect. You're never going to know it all mm-hmm. possible. But, uh, then I land myself in this like, you know, weird Acme coyote place mm-hmm. and, um, they're, they're rolling sushi at the, you know, at the front. So I'm yeah, like, yeah. okay check so, this out but at the at the same time i'm like back to square one i'm having to learn like the knife techniques are differently how you cook rice is different you know the fish you're cooking you know you're not cooking much you're like actually just cutting raw fish you're working with weird you know pieces of octopus and uh you know sea urchins and it was just like what the hell am i doing right like can you explain um, to us like one of the one of the ways that the, even like the knife technique is different i find that interesting so yeah no it's 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 100 percent um this is bizarre world where in the French cuisine, you like roll with your knife. You like do this like, like rolling technique with your wrist. Okay. Um, and you roll and chop, right. It's kind of easiest way to to describe it. Um, and then, you know, in Japanese cuisine, you're like chopping up and down, like straight, you know, it's like, do you ever ever imagine like a, like a Chinese cleaver and you see the guy like, like super fast chopping. That's like, you know, that's Japanese cuisine as well. Like you're not, you're not like rolling your knife. Right. So yeah, you're um, literally right back to square one with this, with your, with like all your techniques have to change. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So so as well, and then respect for the, you know, the ingredients, right? You, you know, because in French cuisine, you're not you're not cooking a lot of, you're not touching a lot of raw anything, and you're not serving people raw anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's certain dishes, maybe like um, carpaccios or whatever, but at the end of the day, there's like, you know, there's you're not giving people sashimi, right, on a regular basis in French cuisine. So, um, you had to respect the ingredients you're working with on a different level because they're like uber fresh. Um, and now you're, you're serving people like raw tuna. Um, 
So, I mean, at the end of the day, it was just this like major like shift in thinking. It's kind of a lot of responsibility um, as well, right? Like when you switch from something where you are serving them raw fish and whatever, like you, your game's got to be on point. So you don't make people sick. Oh, a hundred percent. And, and there's like a whole, that's what I mean about the respect. There's like a whole moment of you need to know a, what you're working with, B, how to handle it and C, when not to, you know, take it beyond your cutting board to a consumer, because at the end of the day, um, you're ultimately responsible for their well-being, right? When, mm. you're, when you're cooking, uh, when you're cooking a serving sushi. So I remember vividly too, one of the, one of the biggest learning curves for me, was just learning all the Japanese, you know, Japanese, uh, you know, cuisine terms, right? So I remember like having a beer with my buddy, my neighbor at the time, and he came over and he was like, I gave him my menu and I'd be like, okay, quiz me. And like, you know, tell me the, you, you say the Japanese thing, I'll tell you what it is. And it was like one of these moments of like, I had to like, over the course of that, like few, few months, like learn all those, like, you know, uh, verbs, um, you know, verbiages. And it was just like an awesome moment of like steep learning. Mm-hmm. Um, I look back on it. I was like, I remember how nervous I was and how like incredibly out of place I felt, but at the same time, I like, it was one of those moments, probably the moment in my life where I, I, put myself in the most uncomfortable position I could ever find myself in. And at the end of the day, I was having fun, but I didn't realize it at the time, but I look back, I was like, fuck man, that was a good time. Cause mm-hmm. all you were doing every day was learning. Right. And just kind of exploring and figuring out new shit. Um, and it wasn't like, you know, anyone was like forcing me to do that. It was just my job. Like, you know, um, I was getting a paycheck for like minimal one too at the time. But at the same time, it was like tons of fun, man. And I remember look, I look back on that now and I'm like, that was probably the best moment in my culinary career because it's like take yourself out of what you know completely and find yourself in this moment of like fuck i'm in i'm in a really weird spot i don't know anything about this shit and find a way to get there out of the void and and do something meaningful yeah and it's very uh, easy it's very easy and the same thing happened the front of that it's very easy to stick in sort of your comfort zone and just like like if you work i'll just put it in the world that where i come from the front of the house where it's like if you're used to working at like a brewery where you're just pulling beer taps all day, but you're making good money and like to just suddenly uproot yourself and go and get into craft cocktailing. Like it's, you're, you're really pushing yourself out of your comfort zone and trying to learn new things. And I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but in my, my, my feeling is that that's kind of what keeps the people who end up doing this for a really long time doing it is doing exactly that, taking yourself outside of your comfort zone and trying different things. Otherwise you will get bored and be like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Yeah. It, it's this like constant sort of like yearn for change, yearn for learning. Um, I, I, I don't know how else to describe it, but there's like a certain level of, you know, excitement that's required to just get up and get out of bed mm-hmm. um, and continue the drive. Right. So that's why like over the course of, you know, my career, it's always been like these, sort of moments of, you know, am I, you know, am I, am I doing anything that's exciting or even like remotely like game changing? If not, then, you know, I, I don't really find value in it. And so I'm like continuing to, you know, sort of strive for more. Um, but I remember back then it was this, um, it, it was kind of this like, you know, blind sort of, you know, I don't know what I'm getting myself into. And it turned out like at the time I didn't know, but it, it turned out to be like probably the smartest thing I ever did was to enter the Japanese kitchen even if it was at the Wiley Coyote Acme place, mm-hmm. um, it still was the one move that was the most, you know, future proofing for myself. It was like at the time I didn't know it, but. So did you work, uh, did you work there the whole time you were out West or did you bounce around at all? 
Yeah, so um, I was there for about two years. Um, loved it. The guys uh, I worked with, the crew, front of house, back of house, were just incredible. Um, we had such a blast. Every night was just a party. Um, you know, I got to a, I got to a point, and if Peter's listening, I apologize, but there was a point where we were like trading sushi for cocktails at the bar with the guys. You know, <laughs> uh, we, we, it, it was this like moment of like we were just in you know having a really good um synergy moment anyways um i got offered a job on the north end of the island um so nanaimo is kind of like mid-island and then um i got offered a job in campbell river which is like way up there um not the tip of the island but it's probably three quarters way up and uh, a good two-hour drive north of nanaimo anyway and um there's a small little uh resort called april point on quadra island which is another island on top of, or away from uh vancouver island and um they were, they were looking for a sushi chef to go run their sushi bar um and i was like this is incredible you know this is uh sort of a, a moment that uh, i had to seize go up there start on my own crew um and kind of run this sushi bar and, and april point for context is like a fishing resort right so you know there was uh something crazy like 40 boston whalers like these little boats that they would take out every day with people go fishing um, these guys would come back with like whole sockeye salmon and they would come and say, Hey, they come to me at the sushi bar and be like, Hey, can you, you know, cut this up for me for dinner? I'm like, absolutely. Like, you know, oh, um, and so I'd awesome. feed these, you know, fisher fishermen or fish, you know, th- these guys would come with fish and I would just cut it up for them. It was like unbelievable actually. Really I think cool. back. Yeah. Um, and we had tons of other like, you know, commercial fishermen stopping at local commercial guys. Right. And they would come in with, you know, spot prawns. They would come in with Dungeness crab. Um, so actually my California rolls, everyone knows a California roll, right? Like, you know, crab stick, which is fake crab. It's like Pollock, right? Basically, um, you know, cucumber and avocado, that's a California roll. My California rolls there at April point were actually like real Dungeness crab meat, right? Cause I was pulling crab out of, um, you know, we had live tanks on the dock at April point. Oh, wow. Um, you know, uni, sea urchin, we were actually pulling it off the rocks at low tide. We'd go out, um, you know, when the when the uh, restaurant was closed, we'd go out with, you know, a little Zodiac. They did like, um, uh, whale watching tours with Zodiacs. And so we would get in them and we would go out to low tide. We'd go out to the cliffs and there'd be all these six like, urchins just sitting there. We p- pluck them down. And then I'd use those for my uni, my fresh uni. Right. Um, so it was just like this incredible, you're, you're, you're just given this like bounty of fresh seafood. Right. Um, sounds like an incredibly then, immersive experience too. Like, you're literally pulling the stuff out of the water and then bringing it back to cook up. Like, yeah, I mean, that's got to feel like the almost the most primal way of being a chef. It was super cool. Um, and, you know, albacore tuna was another one. Obviously, mm-hmm. there wasn't much albacore tuna in the water. I was like right on the Georgia Strait. But, you know, I could go over to Campbell River and there'd be guys, the fishermen there, and they'd be selling albacore tuna, like big 25-pound tunas on their boat um and they'd be like here you go man like you know take this thing for two bucks a pound which is unbelievable like back then two bucks a pound like for context they're like tunas today or like anywhere albacore or like anywhere from like six to eight bucks a pound so you're buying that thing at like a a, a super low a dollar per pound and you know i remember back then i was just immersing myself in all these cool experiences like um i go to the market over there and people would be selling you like fresh wasabi it was my first time working with fresh wasabi root um, and grinding it there at the, at the bar at April point fresh for my, for my customers. So, 
then you had like these really cool consumers that would come in, like customers that would be regulars. And they, you know, they'd want to eat like the, you know, the, the prawn heads and they want to eat, uh, you know, super, uh, you want to, you want to eat like tempura shrimp heads. Like it was just kind of a unique experience where you got multiple requests from, from your consumers that you would never have gotten in, um, you know, a regular mainstream uh, sushi bar. So it was a ton of fun. I, I had a blast yeah, there. Sounds amazing. So, I mean, pardon me for asking, but in what idiotic decision after being in this beautiful place where you're pulling off uh, uh, fish right out of the ocean, cooking up, cooking for the local, <laughs> you come back here for some fucking reason. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what? Looking at, you know, dolphins jumping in the Georgian Strait every yeah. day to <laughs> the mountains to, uh, you know, just stunning uh, BC uh, environment. Yeah, I wanted to come back to the concrete jungle of I Ontario. I assume maybe. you were on the lamb. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it uh, makes zero sense, the entire, the entire decision. Um, no, I can I can honestly say it boiled down to uh, I was in a relationship at the time and and that relationship drove me home, um, and it was you know at the time kind of a bummer. I'm gonna be honest. Yeah, um, I had plans actually because April Point. What happened was after fishing season they shut down, but they give everybody jobs in Victoria, which is where their home base was. So think about you know being up north and three quarters up the you know the way you know to end of the island and then being offered a job in Victoria, which is like essentially a big party city. And I had a couple of buddies there at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, well, this, this winter is going to be pretty cool. I'm going to go down to Victoria and, uh, work, uh, work in the city down there, um, have some good times. Um, but yeah, I ended up, ended up going, going home to <laughs> Ontario. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so at the time I remember feeling super bummed. I was like, this mm-hmm. is like, this is shit um you know i sat on my ass for about two months kind of feeling sorry for myself and then Mm -hmm. it was this moment of like what the hell am i gonna do um at the time nobody really cared or or wanted to hire a white guy at a sushi restaurant in kw Mm. um and i don't think they ever do or want to it's still (laughs) (laughs) Um, i haven't seen too many (laughs) yeah so i was kind of thinking to myself shit man i might have i might have actually kind of struck out here um and uh at the time i got lucky um i uh a good friend of mine chef gary whiffin he was uh he was actually um opening a restaurant sorry opening a hotel um cambridge conference center at Hespa Road in 401 mm-hmm. and uh, I was looking for a sous chef um, and I was like in the dumps you know I was like oh man back from this awesome like west coast high and then he's like hey do you want to come work for me over here at this hotel and I was like okay but the thing was is like there wasn't a kitchen yet so he hired me and the kitchen was just this concrete room mm-hmm. um, and he's like well you know there's no kitchen work to do but you can go work with housekeeping okay so once again yeah. i just i don't want to make this depre- this depressing for you but you were cutting up, yeah. cutting up fresh fish from the ocean yeah you were, oh yeah you're gonna go to a great party city in victoria for your winners and now you're you're um cleaning, cleaning up cum sheets yeah, yeah. <laughs> florida used condoms in cambridge <laughs> Oh, it, it's the, it's the sad truth, man. I went I went down the 
down the shithole. Uh, <laughs> but the good news is the beds hadn't been used yet. The beds hadn't even been made yet. Yeah, so exactly. that was well, the, until that was you got news. there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it came over. The hotel's a different place now. Um, but I actually, it's funny. I actually set up every single bed in that hotel. So oh, anyone who's anyone who's ever going to be big hotel. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> No, no cum sheets when I was there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, see, silver uh, linings, silver linings. Yeah, yeah. But okay, I, so I eventually spent, you do start cooking there. Yeah, we, we opened a kitchen, um, the Bruce. Oh, can I ask you something before you get too deep in the weeds here? Like, was this, so this would have been your first time actually starting a kitchen or being involved in the start of a kitchen, like opening it up yourself? That's true. Yeah. I never even thought about that. It's my first experience there doing a kitchen from scratch. Yeah. Did Um, you have a lot of say in how it was set up or? Yeah. You know, it was interesting because a lot of it was, there's two kitchens there. There's one in the basement and there's one uh, upstairs right at the main kitchen. Um, And so, yeah, it was a lot of equipment planning, um, equipment purchasing, and then also sort of layout design um, where the fridge is going to be, where the freezer is going to be, all that shit. Um, so that was pretty cool. We, we, you know, got a, got my first sort of taste of, you know, layout design of a, of a kitchen and, uh, you know, building that thing from scratch. So dealing with all the contractors and they're all a bunch of cool dudes. I remember those guys, that crew building that thing was, was a fun, was a fun crew. Um, but then when we opened it, it felt really cool because I mean, you designed that thing and now mm-hmm. it's like pumping out food and you're actually like, you know, serving people. And it was this cool experience. Um, and yeah, so I mean, I guess that was my first time ever really feeling a ground up space because normally you like show up to a restaurant and the kitchen's like shitty and grimy and been yeah. in operation for and 40 also, years. Or like this, this is where things are and this is how we do things here. That's what you usually get out of it, right? And I, I, I'm just saying for my personal so like the first time I opened my own bar, it was that it was lovely to have that experience of being like, no, I think the bar sinks should go here. Like even like little things like that, you know? Totally. Yeah. yeah um yeah so that was that was a cool experience i, I it, like until you asked me that i never even thought about my experience there being about design and layout but it was actually kind of what happened first um but what was funny was that i don't know i was only there like nine months or something it was like a short period of time after they opened uh, and the black shops right across the street right mm-hmm. um and you know black shops is hot restaurant hottest restaurant in cambridge so i'm like okay i got it what's going on over there right um, and at the time my buddy Scott was working the bar at Soleil. So they're sister companies, mm-hmm. uh, Soleil and Waterloo. And it just so happened that, uh, you know, Soleil with their chef was leaving Alex, he was on the way out. Um, and they needed a guy to come and run the place, uh, at Soleil. Um, so I put my name in the hat and, uh, at the time the, you know, the Cherney brothers were, were sort of there and they said, yeah, come on over. Right. Um, so what they did up front was they took me from the, the Cambridge hotel and they put me at black shop to kind of expedite the line there a few nights, uh, for dinner service for, you know, kind of like a test the water situation. I worked my days off from the hotel and, and they, they took me at black shop for two days. And, um, you know, after that they were like, okay, let's, let's do this. Let's put you at Soleil. So I went over and I worked at Soleil for, I think it was a close to year and a half. And that was really my first sort of like, call it like full chef job. You know what I mean? Like running a crew, uh, running a kitchen on my own, um, you know, a staff of whatever it was, you know, 20 people or something. Um, and, uh, you know, that was, that was a pretty cool experience. Um, I'm not going to lie. It was, it was, 
the restaurant was packed on the weekends. It was, you know, a really cool spot to be. It was a hot restaurant in town at the time. Um, yeah, I loved it. It was, it was like really, really, um, really energizing. Every time you went to work, it was just, there was, you know, we, we did something crazy, like five features, six features a night in the back, plus, you know, app features, plus dessert features, plus we were, you know, helping the bar do like funky, you know, simple syrups. It was like, we were just really creative and having a you know blast kind of working off each other's energies. Right. So the menu was the menu, but I went to work for the pretty actual features, man. That was, that was where I went to work for. Um, and I woke up every morning thinking about it. I was like, Oh, what's my, you know, what's my pasta going to be tonight? Or, you know, what's my, what's my entree going to be? Uh, and we got, that's where I actually got to connect with like my local vendor group as well, a little bit more. Um, I grew up in KW, but I had never you know, experienced sort of like the, the local food and, and the raw material that was available to me. Um, just, I remember <laughs> met with like Stemler meats for the first time when I worked there, you know, tons of like, you know, bought a ton of smoked bacon from those guys and just, it was just a cool experience in, in finding a new way to cook, uh, and a new way to think about, you know, how to source your, your food. Um, and, uh, this is probably around the same time that like the whole farm to table thing is really becoming prominent in the city as well. Right. So, uh, it, I mean, I would say, I would say it's before, like, yeah. I, I can't, I can't imagine that, you know, I'm, I'm going back in time here, but I want to say it was around 2006 that I was at that. Oh, that okay. Job. So yeah, before for sure, at least in Kitchen and Waterloo. So you're kind of at the forefront of it. Yeah, and, and I, I wouldn't say we did a very good job promoting farm to table there, but um, well, that's what we were. That that sort of sorry uh, that that sort of fucking promotional push behind farm to table has almost become a joke now, where it's like everybody does that yeah. anyway. So like the promotional part is not so much what I'm interested in is the fact that you're kind of at the forefront of actually fucking doing it. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll be honest. The the promotional part was the servers like explaining right. to the. To, to the consumer fucking the servers like, man fucking servers yeah and and, I, and i'll never forget the crew we had in the front of house over there they were awesome um they had my back uh you know erica stephanie uh you know jane those guys were up front selling the food uh and they would romanticize right and and so that was that was kind of all it was was we were just doing our best as chefs to create this awesome food and then the guys in the front would go out and, and celebrate it. Right. So, um, it, it was a pretty cool, awesome, uh, crew to be honest. What, what were some of the challenges that you found about the first time you were actually running your own show, so to speak, as like sort of the head chef as a restaurant at a restaurant? Yeah, man, there's lots. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, there's a ton. Um, number one, I remember there were my first dining on the job. This, there was like this, there was this line cook, Al, awesome guy. I love Al. Um, but he was probably like 20 years, my senior. Oh, and yeah. so here I am, this like, you know, young buck chef coming in, like, oh, I'm going to run the show. You know what I mean? And then I've got this dude who's like a line cook beside me. And he's like, you know, been around, he's seen it 20 years older. Um, and so there's this like dynamic of like, how do I manage this? Like this guy who's almost my dad's age. Right. Uh -huh. Um, and on top of that, then you've got like, you know, shithead dishwashers that don't give a fuck. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're going to piss around and, you know, shoot the shit all day with the, you know, flirt with the servers. 
So you're trying to be stern with them. They'd be like, you know, fuckers do the fucking dishes. Um, and then you've got this other guy who's like, well, I've already fucking been around and you, you don't know shit. Um, so there's this like interesting dynamic. you got to find like, I, 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 the best way to explain it is like you're shifting gears like all the time, right. With every single person you interact right. with in that kitchen. Right. So it's like first gear with the 40 year old guy, sixth gear with like the, the punk teenager dishwasher and like third gear with like, you know, um, you know, the, the, the regular other people you work with. I mean, it was just this interesting moment of like, I can't just be me. I've got to be all these different people at once. Right. But you know, what solves uh, this problem for good is just getting as old as I am. And then you're, you, you out age everybody there. You're definitely the one who's been doing it the longest. And you're definitely the oldest <laughs> problem solved. Just get older. <laughs> I, I feel like that now. I feel like that. now. I walk into kitchens and I'm like, who are these little kids? You know, but, uh, no, it, it, it was definitely my first chef job. And it was definitely, I was shitting my pants every day going to work. Um, from a perspective of like, I'm shitting my pants cause I'm actually like in charge. Mm. But then I was like, when I got in the door, I was like, fuck, man, I'm having a blast in here. This is a lot of fun. Um, it sounds like and, you worked in a lot of places, too, where there was a really good dynamic between the front of the house and the back of the house. And I, as for people who have been in the industry for a long time, we all know that's not uh, – that, that's, that's the case maybe half the time. Yeah, no, it's true, right? And you always have this us versus them, mm-hmm. um, potentially. Um, you know, but you, you, to be honest, man, like you bring to the table half the – energy that the other you know group gonna bring right so my vibe was always like i'm gonna bring the energy that's like a, a, a respectful one and i respect the work that happens in the front because it's like like i said before it's the it, those are the guys that go out and celebrate my food they sell it i don't talk to the consumer um unless i'm at a sushi bar but in this case i wasn't right um and, you know, to be honest with you, like, I don't want to go to work and hate my coworkers. That's bullshit. Like, I want to go yeah. to work and have fun. And mm-hmm. at the end of my shift, I want to be like, man, that was an awesome shift. We did, you know, whatever it was, 350 covers, no fucking food came back and everyone had great. You guys got good tips. Awesome. Let's go have a beer. Um, and then we're going to shoot the shift for three hours at the bar until we're like skunk eyed drunk. Right. Right. Um, yeah. That was my mentality. That was it. That was, we went to have a blast and have fun. Mm. That's the way it um, should be. That's the way it should yeah, be. Yeah, it was good. Um, okay, so at, now you pivot. Let's get back. You eventually pivot back into the sushi game and talk to me about bento. Uh, we were discussing this before the show. I don't think it was bento a chain restaurant or. Yeah, nothing close to it. Um, <laughs> bento, um, not as glaring as it sounds, but um, to be honest, I was like, that's, you know, I was at Soleil for about. I don't know, almost two years and, um, working there, loving it, having a great time with the crew. And I got this call randomly from this headhunter. It was my first experience with a headhunter, first of all. And, uh, this guy calls me, he's like, look, I got your name from this, you know, the guy that actually trained me how to roll sushi at Acme and Nanaimo had given my name to this headhunter. Really? And so this headhunter, yeah. So it's kind of like one of those karma moments where it's mm. like, you know, it's nice to him. He's nice to me. And then he hooked me up with this, you know, awesome opportunity. So, uh, I actually called this, this guy back and he's like, yeah, man, we want you to come work in Toronto, um, and be, you know, a product developer for, for this company called Bento. Um, and I was like, what are you talking about? Like, what the fuck is yeah. this? You know, I, I know what those um, words mean individually, but when you put them together, what is this job? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what is the pay? Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, uh, I checked it out and, uh, sure enough, it's this legit business, man. They, at the time they were, 
you know, um, you know, rolling they had, they had sushi bars in in three uh, sorry three hundred uh, grocery stores across Canada. Um, they had four restaurants in Manhattan. They had thirteen hundred chefs that worked for the company. Um, you know, it was this massive like conglomerate monopoly sushi thing. Uh, you know, Metro, Sobeys, Loblaws, like everywhere you go, Zairs. So, like so we were both right because we were trying to figure out before the show: is this a chain restaurant? Where I, I feel like I saw the bento name in grocery store, so but it's both. Yeah. 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 So, so like their primary business is grocery sushi. Um, but they have this weird offshoot where they're actually, they own, or at, at the time, they owned four restaurants in Manhattan. Oh, cool. And that's where the business started. They started in Manhattan and then they branched back into Canada and then just took over the, the grocery scene in, 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 uh, in the sushi world. So, I mean, it was one of these weird moments again where I'm like, this white guy going into, this business where they needed someone to kind of take over the product development for them. And it's a very strange, um, you know, kind of organization to work for, but you know, the owner and the, the co-founders, <laughs> Ken Valver, he's this Estonian guy. So pretty white Estonian dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, and then, um, Glenn Brown, who's, you know, arguably one of the, like the greatest people I've ever met, but he, uh, um, like was a pretty from, white name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Glenn Brown. Yeah. <laughs> But for, funny enough, he's from Zimbabwe. That's where he grew oh, up. Oh, really? Um, he grew up in Zimbabwe. So he comes to the table with this like incredibly thick, you know, sort of South African accent, right? And um, it was um, this pretty awesome moment of like, they were hiring me as this white dude to come and be like the third white guy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, my, my, my last interview, I met with, I don't know how many folks there, four or five, like, I was actually joking at the time with my buddies. I was like, am I going to meet like the gardener next? Like, who do I have to meet? Like the plumber? Like, <laughs> to get know, I don't know. Who, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you know, what the hell is going on? Yeah. Um, but my last job or my last uh, interview, they came, uh, they told me to bring my knife roll. They're like, come bring your knife roll. It's 11 AM, the interview. Uh, and they black boxed me. So they basically cooked me a batch of sushi eyes. And they, I remember going into the test kitchen at the, at the head office and they were like, look, man, here's all the fish, right? They put out like these like trays of fish and they gave me a thing of sushi rice and they're like, here's two empty platters. We'll be back in an hour. Really? Um, and I was like, man, this is fucking awesome. Like, you know, that I get is, to actually... That, I mean, that's terrifying and cool at the same time. Yeah, but it was like this Iron Chef moment of like, yeah. you know, you know, secret ingredients, you know, fucking yeah. <laughs> just some shitty like crab sticks, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was it was like, go for it. And I made the lunch. Um, and then they all came back in, the senior team of the business, they came back in. Uh, and, you know, we had lunch together. It was just casual moments of just like, do you guys, you know, they were like, hey, like, you know, do you want to work here? I was like, yeah, I do, actually. Um, uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And so, um, what, so what is your job when you're working for a place like that, though? Like, what job did you get given? Yeah, so is at the time it was product development manager, which is a really weird title, but um, it's my yeah, all, first role going. All those titles just they mean nothing. That's like they just throw <laughs> words together. <and> that's like, <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm yeah. just so like physically, what would you do when you went in every day? Yeah, so uh, they needed a guy to actually uh, create standard recipes, right? So 300 sushi bars across the country, and they needed someone to come in and be like, how do we actually produce a California roll? that is profitable because our guys aren't using too much crab or too much avocado or too much cucumber. Oh. Um, and so I had to standardize all the recipes for them. 
Um, and what was funny at the time and why I say Glenn was like one of the most incredible people I met was because he was like this co-founder of this business. And at the time it was like, you know, a hundred million dollar like sushi business. Um, and here's this guy, Glenn Brown from Zimbabwe, and he's going into the test kitchen and he's like, Oh, let's show you how to make sushi. And he would like roll up his like, you know, sleeves and tuck his tie away and be like, oh, okay. And he's like rolled the sushi himself. And I was like, holy fuck, man, this guy's like, you know, hardcore, you know? Um, Sounds like but, a Netflix, you know, it, Netflix movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the Zimbabwean sushi guy. But, um, you know, it was pretty cool. It was, it was like this year and a half of just standardization of, you know, how they did their business. Um, and then from time to time, they flew me to Manhattan and they were like, go check out the restaurants and make sure they're not fucking it up. Really? Um, so, so, that's, so that's awesome, obviously. Uh, and, but did you find any, okay, so you went from a, many, many jobs where you're like creating menus and like, like a very creative process in the kitchen to now where you've moved into an area where you're standardizing things. Did you feel, yeah. uh, how did... How did you handle that? Like going from like the, the super creative process to more of a almost, and I, I don't mean to demean it in any way, but it's almost like a more factory. Like, um, yeah, no, a hundred percent what it is. No, you're okay. absolutely right. Um, and so along with all the sushi bars, that these guys ran the 300, they also had like six factories across Canada that were federal, you know, inspected factories. Right. Right. So these aren't, these are not like, you know, little mom and pop things. They were actually like CFIA registered factories that produced sushi and delivered them to multiple outlets. Right. So um, I'm going to be honest with you. It was the hardest transition of my life from a career perspective, because you're going from this big kitchen where like your word is, is gold to, no, you got to follow rules now, man. Like mm -hmm. you can't just like come in like a cowboy. Mm -hmm. There's food safety. There's, you know, marketing. I had to sit in boardrooms and listen to like dudes talking about weird shit. That I was like, I don't really care. I just want to go back in the kitchen. Yeah. You can't do that. Like it was this moment of, you know, you got to find this cohesive way to be a boardroom guy. Right. Like, um, and you know, I guess the one big piece key takeaway for me, was like, there's a fine line between being a chef and going out and being a cowboy and having fun in the kitchen to being a product developer. Because yeah. product development takes all of this, like what I would call like patience and, and sort of, you know, you have to kind of, you know, bring in multiple points of feedback. You got to leave your ego at the table and you got to take all the data you collect from, from multiple sources and ultimately create the outcome that is right for the consumer, which nine times out of 10 isn't what you want to do. Mm -hmm. I can tell you right now, I've developed thousands of products over the years and none of them are what I would want to eat. That's right. just the bottom line. So how do you so, deal with that as someone who's like, like, how do you personally deal with that transition as someone who grew up in the industry, went to chef school, love, created this great love for food and putting together flavor profiles and whatever to going to, to having all that taken out of your hands. And now you're essentially just making sure that everybody in your, um, under your wing is just doing it properly in the way that somebody else wants it done. Yeah, it, it's it's actually the hardest thing to explain because I'll be honest, right up front, I made a ton of mistakes, yeah. um, and I would I would say that you know the best thing to do in your life to look back now that I've you know kind of lived my whole life um, looking back on all the mistakes I've made. You haven't lived your whole you know, life yet, buddy. You still got a you still got a baby to look after. <laughs> your whole life is not over. <laughs> I got more mistakes to make. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah come on. Mistakes. Give yourself a chance. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, 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 the number one thing I'll say, though, is like, 
if you don't learn from your mistakes, you're never going to, you know, you know, progress yourself. Right. And I would say in that time, when I moved from kitchen to, to bento corporate kitchen, it was, I mean, more mistakes than, in fact, I, I thought I was going to get canned at one point. Right. Oh, like really? I, I literally, literally thought I was like, I'm not good at this. Man. Like I'm fucking around too much. And you know, I'm not really, uh, I'm not really a standardization kind of guy. Right. You know? And do you feel um, like that part of that was because you weren't really into doing it or, I wouldn't say it was. I wouldn't say it was. It wasn't into it. It was that um, you know I, just, I wasn't good at it. Like I mm. just I hadn't learned how to be a corporate chef. Right. And um, it's got to be so you know, completely being, different. Yeah, it's it's a night and day thing. You know the the times I remember having a really good time were um, you know when when the, the customers would come into the office and then I get to like cater the lunch or cater the dinner or whatever the fuck you know. That was like, okay, I'm having a good time. But when we were sitting around the boardroom talking about food cost and, you know, packaging cost and, you know, shit, I was like, I don't really care. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, how, do you, and how do you make yourself care? That's not what you got into it for, right? Like, uh, yeah. No, I mean, they promoted me and then I started caring. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just started to pay me more. And then I was yeah. like, okay, I'm going to listen. Funny how that works. That's funny how that works. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, no, actually, it's funny because I, I was like kind of searching a little bit uh, and I was like, okay, man, you know, I'm going to take the next step. So I signed up to do my CCC, Certified Chef de Cuisine. Um, and uh, I was like, look, I'm going to do this thing, uh, working at a sushi company, but I wanted to stay true to my roots of like the culinary world um, and, you know, the cuisine types that, that come along with uh, with the sort of roots that, that I grew up in. And I did my CCC over there um, and it took me about a year and a half to do that. But I met a ton of really awesome chefs um, at the time at Humber and um, got through it. And, you know, said the guys at work were like, man, this you're dedicated to your craft. We're going to, we're going to, you know, promote you to corporate chef. Um, so, so I went from like uh, this weird, weird title of like product development manager to corporate chef. Was, and, so awesome. that's great that you transitioned to it. And I want to talk about how, what the different role was there, but do you feel like going back to school and like getting back to your roots was what kept you going through the corporate bullshit that you weren't really enjoying? Yeah. I mean, um, there was two things that kept me going. Uh, one was, uh, this, this, this coworker of mine, Doug, Doug Toman, um, super awesome dude. And he loved to drink beer after work. And so <laughs> we, uh, we would, it was this weird, like we're like, we both smoked at the time too. So we had this weird like way of like, you know, tipping each other off. We were going for smokes. We were the only smokers in this place. We were on the fourth floor of this building. And we both like run down the like fire escape. We go up for smokes. And then we all we would do outside is smoke and talk about when we we're going to go get a pint. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and so it was like, all right, man. So what's your four o'clock look like? You're like, oh, I, I can brush it off. It'll be 4.30. I'm done. I'm like, okay, cool. My four, my four is done at 4.15. Let's be at the pub at 4.45. We'll get a pint, you know? Yeah. Um, and then we drink as many pints as we possibly could before you had to go home. Yeah. Um, and usually it's about three or four uh, at, at Betty's on King Street East. Uh, Betty's. In that Toronto. Is yeah. Classic. That's like the. Yeah. That's, uh, so it's funny. Um, I, I worked at Ethel's Lounge forever and in uh, stapling uh, Waterloo. And one of our friends moved, who worked there, moved to Toronto. And she's like, I found the Ethel's of. Toronto, it's that's, Betty's. Yeah, Ethel's of Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Except, except, I would say Betty's is a much nicer patio, but that's just you know bias, okay, right? Okay, that's fair. Uh, yeah. yeah. So good times but, over there. Yeah. Kept me going. 
And that concludes part one of the interview. Hope you enjoyed the show.